can open up your Bible, uh, if you have one, to the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning, uh, here in just a moment. Uh, this is a rhetorical question, so don't answer this out loud, okay? Um, but the question I would have for you would be something like this, would be, should we tell children that they are sinners? Like, should we tell them that they are sinners? There are certain things, I think, that we would all agree on that we shield children from. Uh, there are certain things that we don't tell them uh, as infants, that we don't tell them as toddlers, that we don't even sometimes tell them as teenagers. There's things within my own family that I wasn't told until I was an adult, and I'm glad that I wasn't told about them until I was an adult. Uh, but we all have a category for that. There's things that we know that a child might not be ready to hear, that they might not be ready to receive, that might have some sort of detrimental effect upon them. We all have certain things that we could probably drop into that category, drop into that bucket. But the question that I would have and that I want to think about this morning is, does the sinfulness of a child fall into that category? Does, does making them alert to their own sin, their own guilt, their own disobedience to God, does that fall into that category or not? Because uh, there's many people who would say that it does. Uh, I've talked with many people even recently, and I've read articles, and I've read books that would say things uh, that, about this, that we should not do that, that their sinfulness is something that we should keep back from them for a while until they're ready to hear it, until they have more of a, a groundedness, more of a security, stability about them as a human being. Uh, they have different reasons they say this. There's sociological reasons and psychological reasons and educational reasons, moral reasons even that they would say that. But I think that we would answer that question differently. I, I think that the Bible would tell us to answer that question differently. Uh, that, that when we ask the question, should we tell a child about his or her sin and their sinfulness, I think the Bible and God through it would say, yes, that we should. Uh, that it's actually the loving thing to do, that it's actually the kind thing to do, the gracious thing to do, uh, that, that telling them this will not crush them, uh, but it will be a necessary aid, it will be a necessary piece of information, and, and more than that, something that they need to feel in their soul if they ever really understand their, their need of Christ and the provision of forgiveness that God gives through him. And so I, I ask that question because we're in the second week. I know many of us last week when we started this series uh, were not here or we tuned in maybe from online and, and maybe got bits and pieces of it. But we're in the second week of a sermon series that we're calling Waypost. And it's going to be six weeks long total. So there will be four more after today. But where we're talking about and trying to come to the word of God foremost uh, about the development of young people. Uh, from infancy all the way to adulthood, and trying to think, how has God made them? How has God made us? And the, what are some of the stages that we go through as we move towards maturity? And then how as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as friends, as teachers, as the people of God, how are we supposed to try to help children move down that path uh, towards gospel maturity? Uh, not just to be successful business people or successful members of society or healthy things like that, but how do we actually help them grow to know the gospel, to know Jesus through it. And what are some, we're calling it wayposts because there's kind of like markers along that trail. Wayposts are those things if you go out walking on a trail and you don't exactly know where you're going, those little wood signs that help you know, hey, turn here, go this way. That's what a waypost is. And so we've been thinking and trying to survey the word of God and think what are six wayposts along the development of the life of a child that we could try to keep in mind as we're discipling them, uh, things that we could try to help them along with. And last week we talked about infant 
infancy. We talked about how to try to invest in the very, very youngest among us as human beings and to babies and even before they're born. And we talked about that uh, way post number one. We used the word incubate. Uh, because we were talking about how in those very earliest moments of life, we get a chance to teach them the safety of the gospel. That we get to show them, what before they ever can form ideas, we get to show them, you don't need to earn my love, you don't need to earn my care for you, I'm going to provide it for you. I'm going to look after you, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to uh, wake up when you're screaming, I'm going to change your diapers, I'm going to love you because I love you. And we talked about how we get an opportunity to show that to the youngest of children because God has shown that love to us. Well, we come today to what we would call Waypost 2, and all these are going to start with the word or the letter I, if last week was incubate, this way post number two, as we think about the toddler years, the preschool years, even we're going to call instruct. Uh, that is what we need to do. That's what we're entrusted to do, among many other things, with children in that age bracket. But we need to instruct them. And in doing so, I would say that we need to show them their need of the gospel. If last week we, we said that with infants we can show them the safety of the gospel, I think with, with toddlers and even into preschooler age, we need to teach them, among many other things, but we need to teach them the, their need of the gospel. So we come to Proverbs 3 today. We're going to look at Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. And verses 5 and 6 will probably found, sound very familiar to you. Uh, they're some of the most famous texts in all of Scripture uh, that you've probably heard in songs or maybe seen on people's walls or maybe some of you have memorized verses 5 and 6. But we're going to look at the entirety of verses 1 through 12 uh, because I think sometimes we may know verses 5 and 6, but we don't really know the context that it was written in, the context it was given to God's people in. And so I want us to read all of it, verses 1 to 12, and then we'll walk back through it and try to see what is God saying through this text, and then what bearing does that have on us as we seek to invest in toddlers, as we seek to invest in preschoolers. And I trust that it will have relevance even beyond that, right? Even if you don't have toddlers in your home, you don't have preschoolers that you're working with regularly, there's going to be things in this text and in these things we talk about that are important even for you to evaluate your own heart. Do I know my own need of the gospel? And other, maybe even adults in my life or infants and toddlers in the faith, like do they know their need of the gospel and how can I help them grow in that as well? And so it's not just uh, for those of us who have uh, toddlers and preschoolers in our homes, but this will be for all of us. So I'm going to read this text, verses 1 to 12 of Proverbs 3, and encourage you to follow along. This is the words of Solomon uh, to his children. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. This is the word of God. I want to walk through this text in, in three sections. I, I, I will call them the law, 
the heart and discipline. The law, the heart, and discipline. And so I want to first try to to show you from this text uh, what it can teach us about the role of the law in human beings' lives. Uh, And then we'll talk about young people, the youngest of people in particular. Uh, Before I I show you things about the law specifically in here, I I want to show you and point out to you uh, what we could read right over, and that's the first two words of this text, okay? He, He starts this by saying, my son. And he, he says that, you'll note if you read through Proverbs, he introduces speeches and statements with that phrase over and over and over again. Because he's calling them to believe certain things, to do certain things, to abandon certain things. He's going to say stuff that's really hard for them to hear at times, but he's regularly saying, my son, such and such, my son, such and such, my son, such and such. And so even here in this text, as he's about to, to call them to remember his teaching, to obey his commands, to, to do what he has called them to do since their youngest of years, he's reminding them with that phrase that he's telling them that in the context of the safety of their family. That, that he, they know he loves them. They know that he cares for them. That he's not just giving these commands to them as an outsider. He's not just calling them to obey these things as some sort of boss or some sort of ruler over them. He's reminding them that he is their father and that he loves them and cares for them. This text, as the, as the whole book of Proverbs, was not written to toddlers it was not written to preschoolers. That's probably obvious because they can't read, right? They, so these weren't like written down for them to just sit down and do their devotionals in the book of Proverbs, right? He's, he's writing to either people who are grown adults now, his children who are grown or who are getting near to adulthood. Um, but... Uh, he is, is showing them as he starts out here. He's going to hearken back to things he has taught them since they were little. Things that he has taught them since they were very young. Uh, and he's going to show them what I would call the importance of the law in the life of a child. The importance of the law. If you look even, I don't know how your Bible is laid out, but if you're able even just to look over at chapter 4 uh, and look at verses 3 through 4 of chapter 4, I, I want to point out that this wasn't just Solomon, as Solomon's going to call his children to obey his law and his commandments, he, he's not just making up his own stuff. He's not just like making up his own, hey, I've got parenting rules I've come up with. He, if you look at chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, he's remembering and he's telling his children You know, when I was little, when I was tender, he says, my dad taught me. My dad gave me words to follow. My dad gave me things to listen. He says he taught me, verse 4 of chapter 4, and told me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. And so Solomon, as a little boy, had heard from his dad David these these laws, these expectations about how to live his life. And now as a dad himself, he has done that with his children. And now even as they're grown or nearing adulthood, he's pointing them back to the things that he taught them, the things that he has consistently called them to over and over and over again as his children. So if you flip back to chapter 3, look at verse 1. He says, My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Those two words are what he's pointing them back to and and telling them to return to his teaching and commandments. Uh, Teaching there is really the word law. Like he's not just saying like I'm teaching you concepts about nature and about math and about science, things like that. What he's talking about when he's saying don't forget my teaching, it's really the word law. 
Like, don't forget the things I've called you to do and to be and to abandon. Remember those things. Don't forget them. And then the word commandments, that's fairly straightforward for us. There were things that he taught, commanded them to do, commanded them to not do even as young children. And his concern for them as they grow into adulthood is not that they're going to actually forget them, like that they're just going to be, I can't remember what dad told us, how he told us to live. He's concerned that they're going to abandon them. Uh, You read the book of Proverbs, the whole thing, and that's clear as day. He's concerned that they're just going to walk away from them, that they're going to forget them in that sense. They're going to stop doing what they've been called to do. They're going to stop believing what they've been called to believe. And I think it's instructive for any of us who work with young people, whether it's our own children or other people's children, uh, to note here that what Solomon is pointing his growing children back to is not like, hey, remember the fun trips that we had. Like, remember those awesome gifts I gave you? Because I bet Solomon gave them some awesome, awesome gifts if you know the wealth of Solomon. He's not pointing them back to, do you remember that, that fun time that we did such and such? They probably had a lot of those things. But what he is calling them back to, what he's concerned for them to remember and not abandon is the things that he taught them to do and to be. Not just the experiences that they shared together, as important and helpful as those can be. And so he's pointing them back to his teaching, back to the law even that he gave to them as young kids and saying, don't forget these, don't abandon these, remember the things that you've been taught to do and be. And you see in this text then, as as it unfolds, verses 1 to 12, you see what I would call not just the importance of the law, but you see some of the benefits of the law. You see that there's actually good that comes from young people knowing the law of God, knowing the things that God's called them to do and to be. There's benefit that comes from that, right? There's a reason he's wanting them to remember these things, that he's wanting them to keep doing these things and holding on to them. We don't have time to go into all of them, but if you just look at the even-numbered verses in this passage. There's kind of like this pattern that develops, right? Just looking at the even number verses, in the odd ones, he'll tell them, do this, be this, remember this, follow this. But then in the even ones, he'll say, and this will happen. This will come about. This will come to be if you follow these things, if you do them, if you remember them. So you look at verse 2. He says that there will be length of days and years of life and peace they'll add to you. So there's this benefit that's going to come to them if they keep his commands that he gave them, if they keep the law. In verse 4, after he's told them, hey, like bind these things that you've learned from me around your neck, like write them on your heart. Verse 4 he says, and you'll find. He says, if they acknowledge God in all their ways, he says that he will make straight your paths or smooth your paths. There's going to be, not that there's going to be no trial and pain and difficulty, but there's going to be a smoothness of life if you live the way that God has called you to live and that I as your dad has called you to live. If you look at verse 8, the next even verse, he's told them in 7, don't be wise in your own eyes, turn away from God, or turn away from evil as you fear God, turn away from it. In verse 8 he says, it'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So there's benefit when you turn away from evil and you turn towards godliness and righteousness. There's this healing and refreshment that comes. Verse 10, he's, he's talking about finance and resources and he's told them, if you honor God with your wealth, And the first fruits of your produce, he says in verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. 
And so he's saying even in the the monetary realm, if you are faithful with what the Lord gives you, if you seek to use it the way he calls you to use it, that there will typically be this blessing that comes. It'll go better than if you did it the opposite, right? That's what he's trying to communicate to them. There's benefit that comes if you follow the law of God, if you do what I as your dad have called you to do and how I have called you to live. And I think this should resonate with any of us who love young people because we want fruitful, blessed lives for our children, don't we? And for our grandchildren. We, I don't know almost any parents who want their children to be miserable, like who, who want their young people they're discipling to go down terrible paths. But we have to point the way for them if they're to live the way that God is calling them to live and if they're to find fruitfulness and blessedness, we need to point them down that path. They're not naturally going to find it. They're not going to naturally bend toward it. They're going to go away from it. And so we need to give them law. We need to give them commands that steers them down that path to know this is how the Lord calls you to live your life. And so there's a benefit of the law that's seen in this text. But there's other purposes of the law that are outside this text. And they're in the whole book of Proverbs. They're in the whole book of scripture altogether for sure there's another purpose of the law that I think is really important for us to remember in the life of of toddlers in the life of preschoolers as well and this is the one that's harder to hear the the importance of the law the benefit of the law another one is this is that it exposes their sin Like when we have law that we give to our children, we have expectations that we lay upon them or that we hold above them, that that we call them to, it helps expose and show sin in their life that they wouldn't see, that they wouldn't acknowledge maybe even if they didn't. There's numerous texts I could point point you to in the Bible, but one short, very simple one that would prove this point would be in Romans chapter 3 verse 20. The Apostle Paul, clear as day, in that text says this. He says, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. And it's not that children may have no concept at all that they do wrong. They have a conscience, right? But he he says that the law, the law of God, teaching it to a kid, teaching it to an adult, and telling them how God calls us to live, that's going to show them as you do that, that they cannot keep it. And that they do not keep it. There's going to be a conviction that comes when there's law and there's expectation that's given to our child. There's a conviction that comes that they are a sinner. That they are disobedient. That they're guilty. Not just of of disobeying us, but disobeying God even. And it is so important for young children. It's important for anyone, but we should learn this when we're young. to, To learn that we are under authority. And that we are accountable to authority. That we, and even more so, that we are in need of forgiveness. Because we have disobeyed that authority of God. We we have gone against him and we need forgiveness. We are accountable to him. And I want to tell you, and I know some of you may not believe me, but that is, is not damaging to tell a child that. That is not damaging to tell a child that there is a law that they're to follow. And so when they disobey it, to call them out on it. To show them, you are being disobedient to me. You are are defying the authority that God has put in your life. You're not living how God has called you to live. It can be damaging if done the wrong way. But it's not inherently damaging to to tell a child that. And I would even say this. 
It's necessary to tell a child that. It's necessary to tell a human being that. That there's a law that they're called to follow and that they don't keep it. And that there's accountability for that. They, they need to hear that. If they don't hear that, they're never going to know their need of forgiveness. They're never going to know their need of grace, right? They're never going to know their need of mercy. They're just going to either think, I do everything right, or even if I do wrong, nobody cares. Like, they need to know that there's a law and that they don't keep it. It's kind of like, I'm not a farmer whatsoever, um, but it's kind of like if there's ground where seed needs to be sown, right? You have to till the ground. You have to tear up the ground to get the seed in, don't you? Like if there's hard ground, if there's rocky ground and you just throw seed on top of it, it's never going to grow. There's never going to be life that comes there. And it is hard work uh, to, to till the ground, to, to get down into that hard dirt and soil and to loosen it. That, that if you're thinking, if, if the soil had nerve endings, that'd be painful for the soil, Right? Uh, that, that it would be painful for it to get torn up, but that is what's needed for the seed to go in and for life to come out. And, and the heart of human beings is the same, that if we just stay hardened and are never have somebody confront us, never are called to account, never are called to responsibility for our misbehavior and our disobedience, then the seed of the gospel is never going to go in to the heart. So we have to do that hard work of helping children, helping adults if they haven't learned it, to see their sin, to know their guilt, to know their disobedience before God, to know many other things. Like we talked about last week, their value and their love, their lovedness as a fellow human being, their image bearing, but we, they need to know their sin as well. They need to know their need of the gospel. And I want to show, point out one thing in verses one, or verse one especially. I want you to see the word before teaching and the word before commandments, okay? Because some of you may think, well, he's not really exactly telling them obey the law of God. He's telling them to not forget my teaching, right? And he's telling them keep my commandments, and we, we may look right by that, but uh, we may think, well, Solomon didn't read his uh, writings. You know that was not true. He wanted them to follow the law of God. But those, that little word, my, in front of teaching and commandments, I think is instructive to us, especially as parents or people who are working with really young people, because I would call us proxy authorities. Uh, that, that there is, before a little kid can have a real formed concept of God, before they can read the Bible and know all the law of God and what he calls them to in the scriptures, before any of that develops, they can see you as the authority in their life. And they can know what your expectations of them are. What you're calling them to be. How you're calling them to live. And so our children will learn, the young people in our lives will learn to relate to us as authority in their lives before they'll ever fully relate to God as the authority in their life. And that is a, a high honor and privilege and calling for us in the life of young people to say, I need to help them start to form these ideas of what the law of God is. Not just what I want them to do, but even in what I'm calling them to do, the laws that I'm giving, the, the expectations I'm laying down, I want those to reflect the heart of God. I'm not just making up my own expectations, just writing the script myself. I'm trying to take what God has told us and how he's called us to live, and I'm trying to lay that expectation out before my children and calling them to follow it as well. 
well before they'll know how to read the Bible, well before they'll know even fully who God is. And as a proxy authority, I would say a couple things before we talk about the heart, as we're talking about the law. As a proxy authority, I think it's so important for you to make sure that the law, that the expectations you lay upon your children and that you hold them to are clear and that they're biblical. Like God has spoken clearly in his law. He's not mysterious about how he calls us to live. So we need to be clear in what we call our children to. Not have it just be assumed in our heads and never articulated them. We need to try to tell them, no, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to not do. We need to be clear, but we also need to be biblical. That, That we're not just trying to create a child in our own image and to like the things we like and to to prioritize all the things that we prioritize, but we want to call them to be and to do what God calls them to be and what God calls them to do. So as much as we can, as we're instructing the youngest of children, we want our commands, our calling upon them to do and be certain things to match what God has called us to be and to do. So we are proxy authorities, but it's important that we teach children the law, that we help them to see their need of forgiveness, that their need of the gospel is there. And I would say now as we move to this section I'll call the heart that we can see here in Proverbs 3, that the problem of human beings, our problem is a lot deeper than sometimes we really think that it is. I think, I think sometimes that we think that human beings' problems is just external to us, That like, man, if a kid's being real disobedient or defiant, it's because of her external circumstances or his environment that he's in. Like he's been raised in a difficult place. He's he's had this happen this morning. She's had this happen today in their life. And we can totally miss in the teachings of Scripture that's consistent that the problem, there are problems out there that, that impact children, that affect them in deep ways. But the problem's not just out there. The problem is within that human being. Even the youngest of us, the the problem is in our heart. It's deep-seated within us, even as a young child. And I would note for you the prominence of the heart in this text. Uh, The prominence of the heart. It it appears a couple places in here. If you see in verse 1, he he says, this is an interesting phrase in verse 1. He he said, don't forget my teaching. Then he says this, he says, let your heart keep my commandments. That could seem like a strange phrase to us. Why didn't he just say, keep my commandments? He, he's, and why didn't, or why didn't he say, let your hands keep my commandments, your eyes keep my commandments, like your physical body, do what I tell you to do. He says, your heart is the thing that needs to keep my commandments. That's where your behavior is going to come from, is from your heart. So at a heart level, you need to follow, you need to obey. If you look down at verse 3, he, said, he references the heart again, right? He, he's talking about this steadfast love and faithfulness that's taught in the teachings that he's given to them. And he says to bind them around their neck. Then he says, write them on the tablet of your heart. Obviously, he's not imagining as some ancient person that there's somehow like some physical tablet uh, on in their heart. He, it's a metaphor where he's saying, at the deepest part of who you are, your heart, Like the law needs to get in there. Like you need to be changed from the inside. Not just have the law, son or daughter, be outside of you that you just follow externally, but it needs to become something that's written deep within you on the tablet of your heart. 
And we know from the rest of Proverbs that there's much that's said about the heart and how human beings operate. Even just in the next chapter again, Proverbs 4, verse 23, to his sons again, he says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So Solomon knew this about human beings in general and about his kids in particular, is that our life flows from our heart. The way that we live amongst people, the things that we do and say and believe and how we spend our time, how we treat people, those things flow from our heart. There's a deep core of who we are that then our behavior and our life flows from. Solomon knew this and he also knew that there's a problem with us as human beings that he calls folly. He says in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. so later in this compilation of sayings in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, you probably are familiar with this text. He says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Like it's not just kind of there. It's not just like loosely there. It is knotted up in there. It's deep in their heart. That the core of who they are, there's foolishness. There's disobedience. There, there's a disregard of authorities, whether they're parents or of God himself. And Solomon knew that children are born with a bent towards sinfulness, with a propensity for it, a tendency to it. This doesn't mean that they are as bad as they could possibly be, that every single thing they do is sinful to the core, but it means that at the deepest core of who they are, there's sin. There's disobedience to God that needs to be removed, that needs to be changed. Their heart needs to be transcendent, angelic, godly people. Like they are disobedient just as we are, uh, just as we were as children ourselves. They're not, our children are not just neutral human beings in need of a nudge towards good. Right? Like they are sinful as all of us are. They're, they're bent towards sinfulness and they need to be transformed. They need to be changed from the inside out. Uh, not just nudged down a good path. And so folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But in today's text, Solomon tells them in verse 5, he says, with that same heart, the one that is born with folly bound up in it and disobedience in it, he says, with that same heart, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Like that seems impossible for us to do. If, if folly's really bound up in our heart, how is a grown-up, let alone a, a young child, to trust in the Lord with that heart? And this is where I want to point out to us that when we talk to our children about the law, when we show them their sin, when we lovingly seek to show them their sin, we, want, we don't want to crush our children. We don't want to just leave them in a place of despair. We say, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. We want our children to know grace as well. We, want, we don't just want them to know guilt and guilt and guilt. We want them to know grace. We want them to know that they can turn to the very God that they defied. The very God that their heart is bent away from. They can trust him. And that, that seems so foreign to us. They are called to fear God in verse 7. They're called to honor him in verse 9. But the core command is to trust him. And that is a hard ask, isn't it? To say to trust the one you've wronged. 
Trust the one who does not approve of what you're doing. Trust him. Come to him. Draw near to him. How can we teach a child to do that? This trust that he's calling his children to, that he's calling any human being who reads this text to today, verse 5, trust in the Lord. It's this idea of like resting the fullness of your weight upon him. Uh, Of saying, I, with all my sin, with all my guilt, with all my disobedience, with all my insecurities, I am coming to you and I trust you to receive me trust you to care for me. I trust you to forgive me. It is a hard thing. It's a laying of our full self upon him, even the one that we've wronged. And as an illustration, I was reading uh, this week of a seminary professor who said once that uh, when he was a boy that him and his dad were crossing a river that was frozen in the deep of the winter and they had never crossed this before. Uh, I have never even walked on ice of a lake or river, let alone tried to cross one, FYI. Uh, but they were trying to cross this river, and I can just picture this because he said that his dad was in front, like trying to test out the ice, and was kind of like trying to spread out his weight and like kind of out on all fours, like uh, kind of going across just to see if the ice started to crack or anything like that. And the sun's just kind of walking um, behind him a little bit, like hoping that the ice doesn't crack and whatnot. And then from behind them, as they're slowly inching their way across the river, they hear the the, uh, beat of hooves, horse hooves. And then this, like a couple horses come just rolling across, going super fast, pulling this heavy carriage, and this local guy goes right across the river. And the the line in the thing that I read was this. He said, because he knew how thick the ice was. Like he could put all the weight of that thing on it because he knew how thick the ice was that it could hold, that there was safety there, that there was, it wasn't going to break, they weren't going to die, they weren't going to suffer. It was thick and it was strong. That, and he was riding across it with full trust, Right? Sometimes we can be like that dad when we're thinking of, can I trust God? Can I? We're like that dad trusting that ice. Like we're always nervous it's going to break. We're always nervous it's going to fall through. We're always going to be nervous that my doom is near. But when it comes to trusting the Lord, we want our children, we want ourselves to know, no, you, that ice is thick when it comes to the love of God. And it will not break. Like you can rest the fullness of your weight upon it because God has shown you his love. God has proved his love for you. He has demonstrated to you once for all on the cross of Jesus that he sent his son and he punished him for your sins. He, he crushed him for your sins. Put the full weight of his wrath on his son so that you might be forgiven. So you might be loved by him, received by him. And so we can, call, we can ourselves put all our weight upon the love of God. We can trust him even as ones who disobeyed him. And we can call our children to as well because Christ has suffered in our place and he has been raised. We need to call our children not just to know their guilt, not just to obey mom and dad, but the core of this text is to call them to trust in the Lord, to place their trust in him, to come to him. That is our ultimate aim. We need to to point them to trust the Lord, not just to obey us. If all we create is children who obey us, who are compliant to us, who do what we say to do when we ask them to do it, who, who follow the rules, they are not trusting in the Lord by doing that. 
Like, like we need to call them to have contrite hearts, have trusting hearts in God, not just compliant behavior to us. We need to have a concern for the heart of our children. I, I want this last section to be what I would call discipline. Jump down to verse 11 and 12. Um, because this text speaks about discipline, it speaks about God's discipline to us, and then it speaks, at least refers to human discipline of a parent with a young child as well. This is uh, important for us to hear, especially as we think about discipling toddlers, we think about discipling preschoolers and even beyond. Because we mess this up so much. Like we, we struggle when it comes to how to discipline, whether to discipline children in our life. And I'm, I'm not going to be able to say all that is, there is to be said in just a few minutes. But I want to point out a few things as we think about discipling young children in this realm. If you look at verse 11 and 12, he says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Now we are called to help our children, verse 7, turn away from evil. When there's evil in their life, we're not just to watch it happen. But I think there's a temptation, and I've talked with people about this, there's a temptation sometimes to avoid discipline altogether. To, to view it as just something that I don't want to do as a parent or I think is going to be harmful to my children or to the, the people that are entrusted to me. We, we can think of discipline as something to just avoid altogether. And then what we can sometimes do is we just try to do things like when we see sinfulness in a child, we try to redirect them, Right? Like, I, I've seen this happen, and that's not a bad thing to do, but we try to redirect them, like, like get them out of that situation, redirect them to something else. Or we try, if we, if we know there's triggers that are in their life, that maybe they're being provoked or something like that, we try to get them out of that environment, and we think that removing them from that environment is going to be, it's going to manufacture good and godliness in them, right? So w- w- the temptation can be, instead of disciplining this child, maybe ever... We're trying to like insulate them. We're trying to to remove the things that we think are causing that sin in them. But Solomon, and those things can be helpful. I don't want to disparage those things. Those are needed sometimes. But if those are all that we do, we're not really getting to the heart of the child. We're not addressing the sin that they're choosing, the sin that they are willfully doing themselves. Solomon, the same man who wrote this, later in Proverbs 23, 13, he said this, just very matter-of-factly, he said, do not withhold discipline from a child. Do not withhold discipline from a child. And that resonates with what he has said here because he is saying that the discipline that God brings into our life at times, the difficulty, the struggle that he brings into our life is not a sign of his anger, his judgment, his wrath for me, but a sign of his love. Like discipline is a loving act. It's something that's done for the benefit of the child. It's done uh, for their good, ultimately. And what is true of how God relates to us as his children should be true of us how we relate to our children. That we are to discipline, but we're to discipline with hearts of love, with hearts that are for their good, that are for their upbuilding, that are for their benefit. So there can be this temptation to avoid discipline altogether, but I would say that is short-sighted and maybe even a bit naive. 
of us. If we just try to avoid discipline, we avoid trying to correct a child, help them see their sin, help address it in their life, uh, we are short-sighted and potentially even naive. But I think an opposite temptation, uh, some are tempted to avoid discipline. I think a common temptation also for us is sometimes to discipline in a harsh or angry way. To, to when there is a child in our life that, that we seek to discipline them, but we do so in a way that God would never be pleased with. That God is not honored with. There's a reason that even in a couple of the New Testament letters that this very issue is addressed, this issue of how you discipline children. Paul wrote to the Colossian church in Colossians 3, 20 through 21. He said, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Parents like to really like use that verse a lot, like obey us in everything. But then to the parents, he said, and fathers specifically, he said, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So he's addressing the manner in which they correct sin in their children's life. And in Ephesians 6, 4, he said, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There is a temptation that every parent feels, that any person in authority feels, when, when children are disobeying, whether they're really young or as they get older, if, especially if the, the pattern becomes more repeated, more intense, there is a temptation for us to try to just ramp up the intensity of our discipline and try to intimidate that child into obedience. Try to shout them down. To try to, to, try to even like physically intimidate or sometimes it gets so twisted that we try to physically harm a person to get them to do what we want them to do. We, it is the temptation of the human heart when we feel offended to, to strike back and I want people in our congregation, I want all of you to hear me, and I don't want this to be an aside, but it, it's, it's not the point of this text, but that when we get into places where abuse is happening, that is never honoring God. It grieves the heart of God. Like, and we ought to never tolerate that in the life of our friends, in the, the life of our husband or of our wife. Like we should never be a community that tolerates abuse and gross mistreatment of children under the guise of we're trying to help them or they upset me, things like that. That is unacceptable and unpleasing to God. Because you see in this text that God disciplines out of love. Like when he brings hardship to us, it is out of love and compassion towards us. And when we enact discipline with our children, we ought to be, we better be doing that with a heart of love. Not a heart of vengeance or I was wrong and I just want you to know how mad I am. I want you to know how wrong this is for you. Like our hearts must be motivated by love. We should seek to have the good of our child in mind even when they are shouting at us, even when they are infuriating us. We must have a heart for their good, have a heart that is compassionate towards them, that wants to see them not just stop wronging me, but start honoring God. Like that must be the orientation of our heart. And I would encourage as one way to help with that as a parent, as a grandparent, as a teacher, if you struggle with harshness in your discipline, is to do what he says here. He says, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Like you need actively to be looking at the children in your life and saying, how do they bring me delight and how can I let them know it? 
Like, how can I affirm them? How can I help them to see what a joy they are to me? Look for those things. Affirm them, play with them, praise them. There's a quote from commentator Matthew Henry that I loved. He said this. He said, it's as much your duty to commend and encourage those in your family who do well as it is to reprove and admonish those who do amiss. So shall your rebukes, when they are necessary, be the more acceptable and effectual. And so he was saying, look out for the good that's in the life of your child. Seek to let them know over and over and over again your affirmation of them so that when you need to discipline, they can trust your heart as much as that's possible. They may not always. They probably will not, sometimes for long seasons. But they need to trust your heart so you can be a picture that they can trust the Lord's heart. One or two other things, and then we'll sing. I, I think we need patience for another time. But however you seek to discipline children, I would encourage you so much, even in the process of it, to reassure your child over and over again, even if they don't believe it. Reassure them over and over again of your love for them and doing it. And I would say reassure them of your lack of anger in doing it. Like I try regularly, and I do this imperfectly, but with my children... If a time comes for discipline, I try to tell them, often with tears in my eyes, I love you. Like this grieves daddy's heart. And I am not angry at you. Like I am not doing this because I'm frustrated with you or angry at you. I want you to know how angry it is. Like that my heart is grieved because you're disobeying daddy and you're disobeying God. And like, I want you to know that you can, I, and I tell them at the end, after discipline is enacted, I, I tell them, I forgive you. I, I, I forgive you. I'm not holding this against you. I forgive you because I want them even in my discipline of them to get a picture of what God's discipline for us is like. That he's not shaking his fists at us and raging at us. He is angry of our sin, but his anger was put on Christ. So his smile might be over us even when he disciplines, even when he brings difficulty our way. Hebrews 12, 11 is the last thing I'll say. He said, says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But this is the word I latch onto. It says, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Toddler years, preschool years can be hard and long. Uh, they can be challenging. They're very sweet, but they can be challenging, especially when it comes to discipline. But we need to be faithful and persevere in disciplining our children, helping them see their need of the gospel trusting that as we teach them that that in time God as he's tilled that ground will plant that seed of truth in their heart and life will come so we need to know that the law is important but the law doesn't save does it the Lord saves our children we need to remember that I want to pray for us